Well, good morning, everybody. Appreciate that, June. Um, for those who don't know, uh, my name is Rob, and I'm the, the lead pastor here at Citizens Church, and want to thank you for uh, worshiping us, worshiping with us, not worshiping us, let's be very clear about that, uh, worshiping with us this morning. It is good to, to see you all. Um, I am, uh, my wife and I, Danielle, we have two little girls. We, I talk about a decent amount because it's just easy illustrations, right? And um, one of the things that we would like to do, we haven't done this yet, but we would like to do is start reading through the, the Narnia books. And Danielle has them on tape or on CD, which is still like super antiquated thing these days. But we'd actually like to, to go through them with our girls. Um, and for those of you who have seen the movie or read the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, early on you get introduced to some of the main characters, Peter, Lucy, and Edmund. And what you find out is that Peter's very strong, very courageous. Um, Lucy is very sharp. Um, and Edmund is a little bit of a self-centered younger brother who likes attention and doesn't get enough according to his own personal opinion. And so early on in the movie, The Lion, the Witch, and the World Wardrobe, and I, I say in the movie because I haven't actually read the book. So in the movie, this happens early on, um, he gets kind of frustrated, right, because um, he doesn't feel like he's getting the attention or the respect that he deserves. And so he goes off and he runs into the White Witch, and her name is Jadis. And he runs into her, and she offers him some sweet treats, some Turkish delight. And she says some things that he resonates with. He takes the Turkish delight. She says, come on up in my sleigh. And they end up going to her castle. And unbeknownst to him, he doesn't realize it, but he just became one of her prisoners. And so now Edmund, out of his frustration, departed from his family, runs into this white witch, gets tricked into being her prisoner, and now he needs to be delivered from this castle. And what ends up happening is Aslan, for those who aren't familiar, he's the creator of Narnia. He's the lion. He is the Christ figure in the story. He has a conversation with the White Witch, and everyone says there's no way this can happen, and they go back behind closed doors. They have a conversation. They come out. Aslan looks saddened, but he lets them know that Edmund can go free. And they ask how, and you don't really know at that point, but if you continue to watch the movie later on, you see the cost that had to be paid. So before we even go into that, we, like Edmund, have embraced some things that have led us into being prisoners. We are enslaved to our flesh. That's what the scriptures say about us. And like Edmund, we need to be delivered. And today, as we look at the text, the main thing that I want us to see is that because Jesus is delivered, we too may be delivered. Because Jesus is delivered, deliverance is now made available for his people. And so for those who are joining us this morning, we've been going through the book of Mark. That's kind of been our steady diet. And we've been going passage by passage, verse by verse, 
and just trying to cover every square inch of the book. And so we've been moving through it relatively slowly. But if you have your Bibles, we are in Mark, and we're in Mark chapter 10. Um, if you're unfamiliar, Mark is in the New Testament, so about three-fourths of the way through your Bible. You'll see Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So Mark is the second book of the New Testament. And Mark is writing to a bunch of Christians in Rome. They're Gentile converts, and they've been experiencing some persecution by the emperor Nero. And the overall theme that we've been seeing in this book is that this book highlights God restoring his wayward people. They've gone astray. We have gone astray, and God has provided a way to restore his people back. And then, as we've been saying in chapter 10, Jesus is getting increasingly close to the cross. And so as he's gotten closer and closer, his teaching has gotten more and more pointed. So we saw that he talked about what it looks like to be a disciple when it comes to marriage. And then he talks about children. And then he talked about wealth and material possessions, which we discussed last week. And now in this passage, he again reminds his disciples for the third time now of what he is headed toward. His own suffering death, and resurrection. So, as we look at the passage, what we get as we, as we take apart these three verses, verse 32, 33, and 34, we see a clear picture of what it looks like to be a Christian. There are three things. You can find them in your bulletin, just on the next page after the reading. We see that to be a Christian, to be a Christian is to follow, to suffer, and to rise to follow, to suffer, and to rise. And we'll go through each of those. Before we do, we'll pray. Father, we give you praise because it is a gift and it is a joy to be able to gather here under the banner of Christ, to be reminded of the gospel, the good news, to be reminded of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Help us have ears to hear. Help us to understand the text. We need your help, Holy Spirit. We recognize that apart from your Holy Spirit, we are unable to understand it the way that you have designed for us to understand it. So we ask for help this morning. We need it. We pray that you would give me clarity in the way that I speak. Lord, where there's not clarity, please step in and provide extra understanding. God, we pray for other churches that are proclaiming this gospel. We are very grateful for other churches in the area who are doing that alongside us. Think of Scarlet City Church in Clintonville, Veritas in the short north, or think of Providence Church right here in Westerville. Think of a, a church that we've been greatly benefited by, Substance Church in Ashland. God, thank you for these other churches, and there are more that we could name, but Lord, we are grateful that we are not the only ones proclaiming this gospel, that we have comrades, that we have brothers and sisters in other parts of the city, and even in our own city. Thank you. We pray for your blessing on them. God, we also pray that as we near the end of August, as teachers head back into the classroom, we pray for them. We ask that you would keep them healthy. Lord, help, give them patience. 
as students start to fill their classrooms again. We pray for those students that this would be a school year where they encounter Christ. Lord, use your people, your students, your teachers, your administrators, your coaches, your staff that are in the school systems, Lord, and help them have opportunities to proclaim the gospel. And we ask that disciples would be made this school year. Thank you for the gift that it is to be able to educate. Thank you for those who do that. Now, Lord, we ask that you would help us to understand what your word says. We ask that you would be here moving among us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, three points. What it is to be a Christian. The first you see, we see it right there in verse 32. To be a Christian is to follow. So look at verse 32. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem. So this is, they're going up to Jerusalem and they're literally going up. So they're coming from Jericho. It's about a 20-mile road from there to Jerusalem. And the elevation increases about 3,500 feet. So when it says they're going up, it's literally they're going up a hill to Jerusalem. Yet, Jesus is ahead of them. He's leading the way. The disciples, the followers of Jesus, and Jesus himself know that Jerusalem is not a safe place for Jesus to be. The scribes, the Pharisees, are very strongly against Christ at this point. And they, their hub, so to speak, is Jerusalem. And Jesus is walking right into it. And the disciples know that this is not going to go well for Jesus. Either he's got something up his sleeve or he's walking into a very dangerous situation. But notice, he's not being dragged. So when you see someone walking to their death, think of, um, so in that day they would, they would hang people as a form of execution. So you'd go up the gallows and it'd be a platform. They would take their steps up this platform and then they would be hung on this platform. And typically the person who is being hung was not joyfully skipping up the steps, okay? They were being led to their death. Jesus here is leading everyone else. He's going right into Jerusalem. He is leading the way. He knows it's not safe, and yet he is leading the way. He's not being drug in. And so the disciples, what we see in the text, that they are amazed. They're like, man, he knows that this isn't probably going to go well for him. And yet he's leading. And so they're astonished. They're amazed at Jesus' determination. There's another group who are also disciples, but not among the 12. They're following Jesus. And they're thinking, hey, this probably isn't a great idea. Um, and so they're probably asking the disciples, hey, does he realize that it, it's, not, it's not safe where we're going? And the disciples are like, yeah, he does. Isn't that amazing? Like, this is, our leader's unbelievable. And the followers are probably, well, I don't know if I'm amazed so much as I am afraid. We're following him right into this. Are we going to be lumped in? And so we see one group is amazed, the disciples, and the crowd following is afraid. They're probably thinking, what's going to happen to us? This guy has been preaching things. He's been saying things that the scribes and the Pharisees are very much so against. 
and there's been a lot of combativeness between the two parties, and, and we're going into their territory, and he's saying what he's saying, what, what, what's going to happen to us? Probably a little bit concerned, asking, is this, is this a good idea? Does this guy know what he's doing? This is not what we expected. We thought he was going to be a little bit more of a military overthrow. He seems to be going in calmly, not seeing a lot of weaponry over here. What, what's going to happen? And maybe, before we even get too deep into the sermon, maybe today you're sitting here, you're thinking, I'm, I'm just trying to follow Jesus. But you may not know what tomorrow has. And you may have a little bit of fear. You may think, this isn't exactly what I expected the Christian walks look like. I've experienced more suffering than what I thought I would experience. This isn't where I thought my life would be at this point. What I'd like to encourage you with is that it is it's okay to be afraid. Following Jesus is not an easy thing. It is okay to be afraid. But it's not okay to let that fear keep you from following Jesus. It's okay to be afraid, but it's not okay to let that fear keep you from following Jesus. And so these, this crowd continues to follow him despite their fear. And that's one of the reasons why, brothers and sisters, we need one another. That's why it's so important for us to be here to encourage one another in the gospel, to hear with one another that the, the Christian walk is not going to be easy. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be persecution. I know I've been talking about persecution and suffering a decent bit in the last month or two, and hopefully I'm only doing that because the text is getting into that. Jesus just said the kind of persecution he's going to be facing, and people are following him in there. And so we need one another to remind each other that, yeah, brother, this, this is tough. Yes, sister, this is difficult. I don't have all the answers, but I know the one who does. Stay faithful. Let's lock arms. I'll be here for you. I will pray with you. I will encourage you. Let's do this together. We need one another. So Christians follow Jesus despite the outcome. Those following him, we have the privilege of reading this and knowing what's, what's about to happen. Those following him, if you could, just put yourself in their shoes as they're making their way up to Jerusalem. They have no idea what's going to happen. They've got some fear, but they continue to follow. For those of you who watched um, The Last Dance, it's the Michael Jordan documentary. For those who don't know, Michael Jordan's second best basketball player ever to play. <laughs> and he, this is the documentary where they ask, or they're talking about the, the two three-peats. And he's in... One of them, he's entirely determined to win another championship. And he, what we see in a couple of these episodes is that Michael Jordan is tough on his teammates. Like to the point where he socked one guy in the face in, in practice one time, Steve Kerr. I don't know if he deserved it or not. You can watch the documentary to find out. But Michael Jordan was tough on his teammates. And then throughout the documentary, they're looking back and they're like, yeah, but we got six championships out of it. Like he was tough. And one of the things that Michael Jordan says in, in the documentary is, yes, I was tough, but I never asked one of my guys to do something that I myself was not willing to do. And this morning, as we see Jesus leading this crowd to suffering, be encouraged that Jesus will never ask you to do something that he is not and has not already done himself. Jesus goes before you. You feel like following Jesus may lead you to lose a friend. Jesus has been betrayed. Following Jesus may lead you to lose a loved one. 
Jesus has been there and wept when a loved one has been lost. Following Jesus is not going to be easy, but he goes before you. So Christian, this morning, are you following Jesus? You can't call yourself a disciple, a follower of Jesus, if you're not following Jesus, right? You can't call yourself a follower of Jesus if you're not following Jesus. So if Jesus is leading you into something that may be difficult, we are called to follow him despite the cost. And in church, together, we must encourage one another as we strive to follow Jesus, because following Jesus isn't a cruise ship. It's not, hey, sit here, sit still, and you'll get to your destination. It's an uphill walk. It's Jesus and the followers literally went uphill to Jerusalem. Following Jesus is an uphill walk, and we need one another. It's one of the reasons why we advocate membership here. It's not so that we can say our numbers are bigger or anything like that, or get more membership dues or anything. We don't charge anything to be a member here at Citizens. <laughs> I've had that before. Like, does it cost money to be? No, 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 it doesn't. So, but it's one of the reasons why we emphasize it so much is because when you say you are a member at a local body, whether that's here or somewhere else, you're saying, I have locked arms with those people. Those people are mine and I am theirs. And we are following Jesus together. We are walking through thick and thin together. And so to be a Christian is to follow, no matter what the cost. Then you'll also see your second point. To be a Christian is also to suffer. Look with me in verse 33. Saying, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. Jesus is pulling his disciples aside yet again. This is the third time we saw it in chapter 8 where he says this, chapter 9, and now we're here in chapter 10. This is the third time Jesus has predicted his death, burial, and resurrection, and this time it's with the most detail. So Jesus knows exactly what he's going into. There are some out there who try to deny the omniscience of Jesus and say he didn't really know what he was going into. There are countless examples of Jesus knowing the future. Stephen Sharnick, um, in talking about Christ retaining his all-knowing, even though he was in the flesh, says that you can take a block of gold and you can turn it into a gold ring. But even though the block of gold was turned into a different shape, doesn't mean that it's no longer gold. So Christ, the Son of God, being taking on flesh, he is still God. And so he still knows exactly what he's going into, and yet he continues to walk into it. One commentator said that when it comes to humility and suffering, Jesus does not only teach, he leads the way. When it comes to humility and suffering, Jesus does not only teach, but he leads the way. And so Jesus says, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered. Notice there, he says, we we are going up to Jerusalem, but the Son of Man is going to be delivered. We're all walking up, but only one of us is going to be delivered. Only one of us is going to experience suffering. And so he tells them that they are going up. And we said earlier that going up was literal. Yes. But it's also symbolic. Jesus is going up to his suffering. He's going up to 
the cross. He's going to go up onto Golgotha and bear the cross on our behalf. It's literal and it's symbolic as he heads toward his suffering. Now notice in verse 33, we see this word, delivered. Delivered. We see that there's a twofold deliverance. He's going to be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes. So that these are the Jews. Then he's also going to be delivered to the Gentiles. You'll see that in verse 33. There's a twofold deliverance. Now, the Gentiles are the Romans. And so when Scripture talks about the world, it refers to it as Gentiles, those who are non Jew. And so when we see Jesus being delivered to the Jews and the Gentiles, it's encompassing the whole world here. Jesus is being delivered into the hands of mankind, and the entire world is against him right now. The whole world, Jews and Gentiles alike, are against Christ. So they are going to mock him, as we see in this verse, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Going to mock, spit, flog, and kill. It's increasing severity. So we see that Jesus is going to be mocked. He's gonna, they're going to say nasty things about him. He's going to be fl- or spit on. So publicly, he's going to be disrespected. People are going to go right up to him in front of everyone else and, and spit on him. It's humiliating. It's right there in front of everybody. But then they're going to take it a step further, and they're going to flog him. So not only are they going to say nasty things, not only are they going to publicly humiliate him and disrespect him, but they're also going to publicly and physically beat him. There's an increasing severity going on. And then finally, it says that he will be killed. He will pay the ultimate persecution. So he experiences verbal persecution. These are four persecutions that we may face, that Jesus does right here. He faces verbal persecution. He faces public persecution, physical persecution, and ultimate persecution. Verbal, public, physical, and ultimate. And all that he talks about right here, it happens. He knows exactly what he's going to, and it takes place. So Christians, we, as we follow Jesus, he's telling us what we are following, what we are going toward, as we follow him, what he's leading us into. And it's not a real rosy picture. It'd be nice if it was, hey, you follow me, we're going to get to Jerusalem, and you're going to be wealthier than you've ever been. There's a nice little spot waiting for you. We're going to take over the city. It's going to be unbelievable. That's not what he says. He says you're going to be persecuted verbally, publicly, physically, and perhaps ultimately. It's the call on the Christian life. And so are we this morning willing to suffer for Christ's name? Are we willing to be spoken ill of? Are we willing to be publicly shamed? Are we willing to be beaten? We live in a very comfortable society. We praise God for that. That is a a great thing. However, don't let it blind you. Understanding that we may, in fact, face persecution. And it may be physical at some point in your life, don't run away from that if it means following Jesus. And you may ultimately pay with your life someday. We should be ready for that. Maybe this morning you are experiencing some of that 
persecution. Maybe you're hurting this morning because of some of the valleys or some of the seasons that you may be in. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, when we cannot trace God's hand, he's talking about when you're in that season and you're not quite sure why, Spurgeon says, when we cannot trace God's hand, we are simply to trust his heart. And in the text, we can see his heart in that all the things he's talking about, all the persecutions there, he is leading the way. And he says, we are going up here, but the Son of Man will be delivered. He's telling his people, follow me. Follow me, and I will bear the deliverance. I will bear the cost. And so this morning, church, as we were talking about how important it is to, to be together, I should also recognize that we need to have eyes to see those who are experiencing persecution or those who are suffering, whether that's because they're going through a season, whether that's because they're trying to, to faithfully follow Jesus and they're being persecuted for it. We should have eyes to see the suffering that is around us within our body, but then also eyes to see the suffering that is around us within our community. We want to be missionally engaged. We want to be able to step into those situations with the gospel. A good friend of mine said that um, if you are near, as a Christian, you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. So you have God living inside of you. And so if you are near someone who is far from God, then they are no longer far from God because they're near you. So we want to recognize areas in which we can take the gospel into broken and suffering places. You don't need a church program to set that up. You, as someone indwelt by the Holy Spirit, indwelt by the Spirit of God, if you are near someone who is far from God, then they are no longer far from God. So Christians follow. Christians suffer. And third, to be a Christian is to rise. Jesus does not end this passage on a negative note. So he says in verse, at the end of verse 34, and after three days, he will rise. Now, what's the significance of the resurrection? Right? Because we've heard people say, even if Jesus didn't rise, then Christianity is still okay. And I just want to tell you, that, that's patently false. The resurrection is crucial. Because if Jesus is representing man, and if he goes on the cross to bear the sins of man, and if he dies, because we know the wages of sin is death, but he does not resurrect, then that payment has not been fully accepted. It's he got what he deserved. But if he resurrects, if he resurrects, then we know the payment has been accepted. When, when you go into the store, I, I have a little wallet, right? that presses all my cards together, which is great. It keeps the thing a little bit tighter. But one of the things that it does is it messes with the mag strip. And so when I go into a store and I try to purchase something, half the time it says chip malfunction. And so it says, have to try it again, try it again, try it again. And then after a few times trying, it spits out a receipt and it works. Okay, great. The resurrection, it's a poor parallel, but the resurrection <laughs> is God's receipt saying the payment's been accepted. The payment has been accepted. Look, he's no longer in the grave. He bore, he bore the sins of his people, but being perfect without sin, he can't stay dead because the wages of sin is death. And so he resurrects to show victory over that sin. Jesus himself was delivered so that we may be delivered. 
He was delivered to death so that we may be delivered from death. What was Jesus delivered to? To say death is kind of a broad, um, sweeping statement, right? So what was Jesus delivered to? I'm going to read a few verses here. Jesus was delivered to the cup of God's wrath. Okay, so we can go on two different directions here. We can say, oh, God's wrath. Like, that's kind of a sensitive topic. We want to. So you can either go one direction where you never talk about sin, God's wrath. Or you can go another direction where you only focus on that. Fire and brimstone. Okay, we want to walk that line well. I'm going to say this is in the text. But we also want to get to the gospel and show that this can be satisfied. And so Jesus was delivered to the cup of God's wrath. Psalm 75.8 says, For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. Isaiah 51.17 says, Wake yourself, wake yourself, stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath. Isaiah 51.22, Thus says the Lord, The Lord, your God, who pleads the cause of his people, Behold, I have taken from your hand the cup of staggering, the bowl of my wrath. You shall drink no more. Jeremiah 25, 15. Thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. There is a cup of God's wrath that Jesus was delivered to on behalf of his people. Next week, Lord willing, we'll see in verse 38 of Mark 10, we see Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? He's referring to this cup of God's wrath. He's getting ready to go drink on our behalf. So Jesus, him rising, is evidence that that cup of God's wrath that he drank is now completely empty. Him rising is evidence that the cup of God's wrath is empty toward him. That's why union with Christ is such good news. That's why that's the gospel, to be united with Christ. Because if we are united with Christ, we are in Christ, then the cup of God's wrath is empty toward us too. Union with Christ is such good news. So those who are in Christ, if the cup of God's wrath is empty towards you because you are in Christ, then there is a promise that you, like Christ, will rise because there is no longer any sin that needs to be paid for. Christian, do you believe that? Are you being hard on yourself? Maybe you've sinned in countless ways this week, like the rest of us. Do you believe that it's been paid for? That it is finished, that the cup of God's wrath has been emptied on your behalf if you are in Christ. Don't make your standard of forgiveness higher than God's standard. If Christ has paid that on your behalf, then praise him for it. Repent, turn away from your sin. But don't continue to feel like you need to pay for that sin. It is finished in Christ. And maybe you're here this morning and you would not identify as a Christian. And first off, thank you for being here. We love that you are here. If that is you, have you considered what it means 
to not have that cup emptied. That that cup of God's wrath is not empty. In fact, it's full towards you. Consider that this morning. Don't leave here without considering that truth. In John Bunyan's famous work, Pilgrim's Progress, <clears throat> Pilgrim's Progress is a Christian allegory where the, the characters are named after what their identity is. So the main character's name is Christian. So he comes across people like arrogance and like foolish. Um, and so he, he comes across people who are named after what their identity is in the book. And so we read this when it comes to toward the end of the book. It says, Christian ran in this direction until he came to a place where the way ascended up a small hill. And at the top stood a cross, while below it was a stone tomb. So I saw in my dream that just as Christian came up to the cross, his burden fell from off his back. Then it continued to tumble down the hill until it fell into the mouth of the stone tomb and was seen no more. Christian ascends up this hill to the cross and the burden that he was carrying of his sin and the punishment that is headed toward him as he gets up to the cross, it falls off and it goes down the hill into a stone tomb where it is seen no more. And the wrath of God towards you because of your sin can be seen no more if you are in Christ. It can be delivered to the tomb if you are in Christ. So because Jesus is delivered, was delivered over to death, deliverance is now available to his people for all those who would confess their sin and trust him as their Lord and as their Savior. So who are you following today? As Jesus goes toward Jerusalem, Jesus ascends toward Jerusalem, are you following him? Who are you trusting for deliverance? Are you trusting Christ? Or are you trusting in your own work, your own resume? So just as Jesus ascended to Jerusalem, he also ascended to the crucifixion so that he may ascend on the third day. Jesus was delivered to death so that we may be delivered from death. And ultimately, as he delivers us from death, he's going to deliver a new kingdom. That's where we get our, our church name. We're citizens of a, of a heavenly kingdom. And so Jesus is delivering a new kingdom for all of his people. We read this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24 says, Then comes the end, when Christ delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. So Jesus was delivered to death by taking on God's wrath for us so that he could deliver his people from death. And then from death, he can deliver them to this new kingdom that he is ushering in. So do you this morning want to be delivered? Do you trust Christ for that deliverance? If you are in Christ and you continue to confess your idols, confess the things that you've been following and you turn from them and you begin to follow Christ. Followers of Jesus, follow him. 
praise God. Praise God that despite us following after other things, despite us following after everything that may entice our flesh, he has come so that for all those who would turn from those things and follow him, that we may also be delivered from the grave, just as he was delivered on the third day. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you grateful. Grateful that even as the song says, to this I hold, my sin has been defeated. Jesus now and ever is my plea. Oh, the chains are released. I can sing I am free. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. We praise you for sending Christ. We ask for your help in following him. Help us to follow him individually, but help us to follow him together as your church. Show us idols in our lives where we are inclined to follow other things. Lord, help us to confess those other things to you and turn from them and follow you. We need your help in doing that on a consistent basis as we wage war against the flesh. Help us as we go from here to follow Jesus faithfully. We ask this in his name. Amen.